This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. This week, my special guest is Billy Piper, star of stage, screen and music, and now writer and director of Rare Beasts, which opens in UK cinemas this Friday. Well, I'm delighted to welcome uh, Billy Piper to the podcast. Billy, how are you? Um, I'm good, yeah, um, I'm. Uh, I've just finished a film, and just yesterday, so um, I'm now excited about having some time to myself. And um, the film's coming out, so that's all very exciting. So yeah, better than I have been. Let's say that. So you've been managing to. Well, I, I've spoken to a, a number of um, filmmakers who have managed to work during this. How does it? How does it work that you know with with everything that's going on that you can get work done? Um, it's definitely, it's different. It's, um, you know, it's kind of logistics heavy and, um, lots of protocol and arguably less, um, fun, I guess, but, <laughs> um, but you can, you can still make a film, it seems in lockdown. Um, so in many ways we're incredibly lucky, um, but it's a completely different experience. And it's very, um, um, it's quite, you know, it's dispiriting in, 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 the, in the way that you have to, you are all sorts of closed off, caged up and, um, and can't, there's no, there's less, you know, uh, room for fun and play, I would say, although we did manage to find some. Is the thing that you've just finished the Lena Dunham project? It is, yeah. So tell us about it, or, or as much as you can say about it. Well, what I can say is that it's um, it's like a medieval coming-of-age story that was based on a book that I never read as a child um, called Catherine Called Birdie. Um, and it sort of uh, documents um, this young girl. Uh, it's, it's, I suppose it's like a journal, this young girl um, coming to terms with becoming a woman and what that actually means for her. Um, so it's very funny it's 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 very warm um and i would say it's a sort of a 12 year old girl's dream film um but i would i would say it also has it will appeal to families it's working on many levels let's say and i think her uh, lena's writing is able to achieve that and this is with uh, with andrew scott and uh, lena dunham obviously tell us what it was like working with them well working with lena dunham was it 
a dream come true because I've been such a fan, like such a fan of hers for so long. And I feel like she's done an enormous amount of groundwork for other female writers and, and filmmakers. Um, and so, yeah, I couldn't quite believe it, to be honest. It was, it was, <laughs> it was one of those moments where you're on set with someone that you've you've watched and studied and stalked and poured over for years. Um, and she's sort of everything you'd hoped and more incredibly bright, very funny. Um, uh, yeah, just a great, great woman. Um, very talented, you know, you sound um, a little bit starstruck. I, I mean, that's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, totally starstruck. And then obviously playing Andrew Scott's wife, which was also a really big professional moment. Um, and I sort of feel like I found two really good friends, but I would say that. Yeah, tell me, I mean, I know this is, the, there's only one possible answer to this question, Billy, and it has to be yes, but is Andrew Scott as nice as we all want him to be? Yeah, he's really, really nice, but he's also naughty. <laughs> so he, you know the the hot priest you know it's not when you meet him it's not such a stretch <laughs> have, you, <laughs> have you been watching um pursuit of love oh i have i love it again that naughtiness is i think to the fore yeah and he's very naughty in the film as well um in in the film that we're shooting or just uh shot um yeah he's he's brilliant in that i love that show so look, let's talk about Rare Beasts. So um, congratulations. Firstly, the first thing I want to do, tell me about the title. What does Rare Beasts mean? Rare Beasts, um, I think I used it as a term to describe people um, I shared my life with in my 20s in a sort of, I guess it... Um, yeah, it chalked up a certain type of person and a certain uh, type of behaviour, um, good and bad. Um, and then I, when I started using it as an idea, I could sort of see rare beasts all around me. So, um, yeah, that's that's why. It also just feels very loud, um, and so does the film. Welcome to my life. How long are you staying for? Indefinitely. We should go and watch people being happy. Every wife, respect your husband! I'm what you call a post-post-post-feminist. Mm, just an original woman. What is going on here? She used to be such a funny child. She used to write these little love letters and then often little death threats. I want to unveil myself to you one piece at a time so that I can talk you through what I physically hate about myself. You broke from Randy. What do we want? What do we want? I want a five-hour day. Do you believe in heaven? I want to make stew the keeps. I need to make stew. What do we want? What do we want? I want a man. What do we want? What do we want? I want a man. Man, I'll send you mad, mad. Even though I feel scared and angry, I still love and respect. So you've written, directed, and starred in it. Describe for us the character that you play, because it may not be a character that everybody would immediately think, oh, of course, that's exactly who uh, who Billy Piper is going to play. So tell us about your character, and then we'll talk about 
the very early scene in which your character meets Leo Bill's character and they have one of the most awkward on-screen conversations that's brilliantly comedic but also very great. So tell us about your character first. Who is she? How has life brought her to the point that she's at at the beginning of the film? So my I play um, uh, Mandy. She is um, a modern woman. Um, she is a single mum. She's professional. She a professional person. She's a nihilist. She's sort of broken down by um, her parents' relationship and trying to find her way um, through modern romance for what that means. Um, and trying to be a, an empowered woman, but someone who really st struggles with the ideas of um, modern feminism. So I guess that's her in a nutshell. And she has um, this uh, dinner with Leo Bill's character who tells her, very early on in the discussion, that he finds women intolerable, but he then says, I find women intolerable, but I won't be without one. Yeah. Tell me about writing that line and where that comes from. That line comes from... Um, it comes from seeing the struggle that a lot of men I know have um, spent time with, um, that seems to be uh, a, uh, one of their struggles um, with women and um, modern relationships, I would say. It's like they they find women such hard work. And at the moment, um, it's a very, they, they, they talk to me about it being a very stressful time for men because they don't know quite where they fit into things and what their expectations are and what, how they can or cannot behave. Although it seems pretty clear cut to me, but, um, and yet, um, and yet they want that security and they want, um, the good things that come with female company and companionship. And it seems to be um, a source of great um, confusion and upset. Yeah. Well, then the, the, your character, rather than responding by putting a napkin down and leaving the table, then actually stays and engages him in an increasingly, in a conversation in which there are several things going on that it appears to be confrontational on the one hand and argumentative, but there's also something else going on in that conversation why does she stay? Why doesn't she just go, okay, I'm just not interested in somebody who says literally women are intolerable, but I, but I won't be without one. Well, I think, I think quite often in life, we can be drawn to people who say, say the worst things to us that we potentially think about ourselves or about the life in which we we choose and, and, and live. Um, but also it's, it's very rare that people put their cards on the table in that way. Um, and it can be very compelling and it can be on some level, very attractive, even though it's kind of, you, it could be strange, perverse, rude. Um, uh, you, but you can, also, I think there's a, there is a, a, a place, it, it's familiar to her because of her relationship with her dad. So it's a sort of, it's a chaos that in, on some level is attractive to her. 
Um, it's also someone that appears to be strong, but is actually just very controlling and manipulative. So you, we can find ourselves in those um, relationships. Quite funny when I speak to um, women who've seen the film who sort of struggle with the character of Pete so much because whilst they think he's a you know an ass. Um, they're also kind of attracted to him and his um, sort of acerbic views. Tell me about Leo, because um, I absolutely loved him in, in Fabric and I interviewed him on stage and he was, you know, really funny and really charming. <laughs> and uh, so tell me about him, therefore, playing a role in which he, he has to, at least verbally, be such a louse. I've loved Leo Bill. Um, I've, I think he's one of our greatest. I've seen him a lot on stage and not enough on um, TV and film. Um, and he does this thing very well. He is, you know, he's, he's very outspoken Leo and, um, but he's also incredibly vulnerable. And that's sort of a quality that I really liked for the role. He also wasn't, he didn't seem to have a gender with the part. Like he wasn't trying to make this guy more appealing to us. He he seemed to, although he had compassion for his character, which I think on some level, maybe you want to find that suits your acting style. Um, he he sort of or he leans into the darkness and the horror of the of the, of Pete and i he's not vain as an actor and i really love that and i think all of the actors in the film there's no vanity in their performance it's it is they they seem to be very comfortable playing these sort of beastly people and it's not about the way they look and they're not trying to make themselves likable and i really love that in 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 the work that we do. <laughs> Stealing our light, we're rotting here. Vision. Mm, suspicious dress, darling. Oh, as suspicious as that sermon. I ruffled a few feathers, I'm sure. <laughs> Who chose them? <laughs> oh, me! Oh. <laughs> I know, I know. It's, I'm, I'm what you call a post, post, post feminist. Mm, just an original woman. Oh, Mandy. How do you find the smothering? Not as bad as the hateful honesty. <laughs> Mandy, this guy, or these guys, this yes. guy, hell bent on love. Yeah, I hope his penis is as big as his heart. <laughs> Oh, perfect. <laughs> you know, take care of him, Mandy. He's a delicate flower, right, really. You're, you're making us sick now. No, it's hard to see that sometimes. I know, but that that's our gift as women. We can see through all that arrogance and rage. But don't love light and weaken our brand. One of the people who is sort of most known for, for not worrying about playing unsympathetic characters is David Thewlis, who from the very beginning of his career has been utterly fearless in the roles that he's played. Tell us about David Thewlis's character and how you found him to work with. I should say that I met David Thewlis very briefly at the very beginning of his big screen career when he directed a movie called... Re he, was, he was in a movie called Resurrected, in which I thought he was brilliant. And then I met him at a party and he was the scariest person I ever met. What? And it turned out he was because he was in character making that Mike Lee film naked. And he was right <laughs> in the middle of that. And he it was like he had that character with him. I mean, and I think he's a brilliant actor. Tell me about working with him in that role. Oh, God, another dream come true, really, because I've I've been a devoted fan of his um, for as long as I've wanted to be an actor and a studied his work and I worked with him on Craig Roberts film Eternal Beauty and I talked to him about my film and I just thought he'd be brilliant 
so I just sent him the script on the off chance because he said, take a look. And I thought, oh, I'll send it to him and he won't read it or he'll come back for three months later, by which point we probably cast a role, whatever. That, that's a sort of familiar pattern. Um, and he got back to me straight away. He was, he was very um, in, excited by the script and his character. And he was like, yeah, I'm in. And that was that. And I'm working with him. I love it because he's so big, it's so theatrical. And and I think those sort of performances really help this movie because it is theatrical. It's very heightened and it's um and and it's it wouldn't work with sort of naturalistic act. It it needs big sort of punchy choices. And he uh he obviously if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Tell me about, I mean, because you, you, you raise eternal beauty and there is a kind of, there is a stylistic connection between the oh, two yeah. films about inhabiting a heightened reality, something which is, uh, you know, there is an air of artifice and theatricality to it, but without just, without cracking that, that point at which you don't believe in the characters. So tell me, did you did you learn stuff from working on Eternal Beauty? Tell me whether you think there's a connection between the two. You know, I do think there's a connection and it's kind of cosmic. Is uh, This is when I believe in something other because like I'd written the script in such fine detail that all of those abstract theatrical moments were there seven years ago. But then I find myself being cast in a film that is also doing a lot of that work. And um, and so um, and doing it in camera a lot, which is something I really wanted to do, and there wasn't money to do anything alternatively. But also that was the right choice. Um, Craig's film does it really well because whilst the thing about doing that stuff, I find as a viewer, is that 
as you say, sometimes it is really cool and fun and immersive, but sometimes you can lose the emotion. You you stop being emotionally invested. And and I couldn't do that in in with this film because it's so much about um, emotion. It's all about emotion, really. Emotion and madness. And um and so I did get some great some I well, I just saw him work and that was really um really helpful. And then I just studied the sort of references um, that I I wanted um, for our film a great deal as well. Can you tell me something about the music choices in the film? Yeah. Because the, the music cues play a really big part and it's hard to describe. How would you describe the use of music in the film? There's a lot of it. Yeah. Because I love, um, I guess because I love theatre and musicals and um dance and all of that stuff from my youth filtered into this film in a way that I wasn't really conscious of, but I now see having been, having made it two years ago, how much of my uh, childhood passions have, have, have leaked into the movie. So look, the, there's a lot of music. It's, um, it's very, it's completely varied. Sometimes it feels quite vaudevillian. Sometimes it feels kind of Hollywood swoony strings but it's doing a lot of opposing work so in the moments that the the um, protagonists are behaving as always kind of appallingly to one another the music surrounding them feels kind of dreamy and lustful and like love will out so it's 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 trying to play with that um and and then there's some like crooners in there as well and i don't know it's just it's kind of mental it's mental there was a point in it when i i kind of imagined you in the editing room um because obviously i i i have a i have an imagined version of how films get made billy you know the yeah. directors basically do it. so i imagine you in the editing room looking at something and thinking i wonder what the most contrapuntal piece of music i could put against that is and going yeah let's try that because there are certain moments when it it is it is almost as if the soundtrack is going this way when you thought the drama was going this way and it's done on kind of hard cuts mm. which i enjoy very much but when mm. you say vaudevillian i think that's the that's the tone of that isn't it, it is the mm -hmm. it, it's the it's the sudden it's the sudden shift and it also felt very very confident it felt like you knew you knew what you were doing were you helped through this process by a brilliant editor or is this all coming from you I had a brilliant editor, um, Hazel Bailey, and um, I felt like I was surrounded by really, really talented people. Um, my partner did all the score and all the music. Um, so we had a great shorthand and it was just a very relaxing experience in that sense. But I just, I just felt like I... I was quite convicted about some of those, uh, most of those choices because it, I, I, I feel like I made the film I personally want to see. And that's really the only instinct I could rely on because it was such a new experience and something I've never done before. Obviously I've worked as an actor for 20 years and that has, uh, you know, informed the work and helped me enormously. But um, I don't know, it just felt satisfying to me and it felt immersive which is something I really wanted it to feel like and and sort of 
chaotic and and um and very emotional and that's that the film the sort of pace of the film the hysteria of the film it feels like what was happening in my mind all day every day from my late 20s into my early 30s the world felt so loud because my anxiety was so out of control and um it just felt pressure, pressure, pressure. And it, and and as much as that's about, you know, expectations of women, that's also just about modern life. It just, that's how it feels to me. It feels unrelenting. It's like a constant panic attack. Are you generally an anxious person? I didn't think I was at all. I spent my 20s thinking I was a hippie and that <laughs> when I had kids, I'd be this unbelievably relaxed parent and into my 30s I really I realized that actually I I think at times I have like chronic anxiety yeah but and and I've been realizing that more and more throughout lockdown obviously and then um you know I just I don't know I just I do I think I'm a a classic case (laughs) It's a funny thing. I mean, you know, anxiety. I've I've just recently my, my kids are now grown up. They're nineteen and twenty one, and I've just I you know I love them. I'm very proud of them. But I've just started doing CBT because I'm an anxious person, and uh, and I finally you know my family said for heaven's sake get help, you know, but like in a but in a in a kind of creative and productive way, and it's something yeah. I've resisted for a very long time. But it is there is part of me that thinks, you know, anxiety is, is, is what I am. There's part of me that thinks that the world is actually fantastically anxious at the moment. And if you're not anxious, what are you doing with your I agree. life? I don't know anyone who's not anxious. And I know that like we use this, the word, we band it around, but I don't think we band it around lightly. Like I, I genuinely think we're all we're all dealing with a great deal of that at the moment understandably um but i really wanted that to be reflected in the film even at risk of it being too, too uncomfortable do you think that the that the film in the end is is positive i actually came out at the end of it feeling quite upbeat i didn't come out at the end of it thinking like it was a panic attack but i wonder whether that's just me do you feel that the film has a positive conclusion i feel like yeah i think it i think it does um but i think you know (laughs) my experience of life is that only small things change um quite often when you watch films and there are enormous changes by the end but that doesn't ever feel real to me (laughs) I wish it were real, but it's not. The, the change is realizing that the for her, the thing that she needs to focus on is this, you know, her relationship with her, her son um, and taking care of herself is kind of small off the back of all of the aggro the film has presented, but it is the way life is. It's often just walking away from something or someone and it doesn't have this enormous... Um, uh, you know, um, sort of 180. It's just, it's very subtle, but it takes enormous courage and enormous strength to to do the things, you that, to make those changes. Has making the film solved some things for you? Because, you know, when you write and direct and you're, you're in control of a project like that, I don't know how much control you've had um, over p- previous works, but... It sometimes making an artistic statement 
can quell a lot of the of the demons and anxieties that that led to that statement being made in the first place have you felt that yeah i think so and it'll be interesting to see it actually have a um, actually have a release because it's been in my mind this film because of it's been pushed back so many times by covid and um it, it sort of felt like uh, i'd imagined making it um and actually now like it almost like a phantom film and now that it's coming out I feel genuinely quite emotional about it because I think it does tie up a lot of you know even though it's not like directly lifted from my life these are emotions that have been circling me for 10 years and thoughts that have circled me for 10 years and 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 I think it is going to sort of um well, I hope so. I hope I'll, I'll, I'll feel something about it coming to it sort of um, culminating in a, a small theatrical release and, and people seeing it and, and, and experiencing it. Presumably, um, presumably since, because you made it in, in 2019, am I correct in thinking that? Yeah. Yeah. So presumably since it's been a period since then, the reaction, the critics, I haven't read because I tend not to read other reviews before I uh, watch something. It's all happened already. It's, it's, that's all happened. Or are you, do you care what critics think? And are you waiting for reviews or has that already all been and gone? Well, it's annoying because it's sort of it's sort of almost happened about five times. So it had, <laughs> it, went, it came out in Venice, but that turned into a bit of a mess because it was on the first day and we didn't get the right people at the right time, and that was very annoying. And um, so it didn't quite have um, the moment that I was hoping for. But we're at Venice, so that's that was feeling great. Um, then it was in opened in London at the London Film Festival, and that had a small sort of review thing. I think, although I think this is this is its moment where it's going to be um, unpacked and um, properly. Um, and I, uh, how do I feel about that? I feel like terrified because this is like all of me <laughs> I can't hide behind well you know the writer, the writer did a shit job or the director was a scumbag you know I can't can't do that I once spoke to somebody who was a writer who had directed their first film and they said that as a writer all they had done was protected everything they'd written all the way through production and as a director they got on set and looked at the script and went who wrote this shit they said it was a completely different experience how did you find directing your own lines I really liked it. Um, I really liked seeing the actors say the lines. Um, it, it, annoyingly, I, I feel like being in, in it was an oversight because it meant that I couldn't fully relax into director mode um, and that I was having to sort of switch between mindsets, which I found quite hard. Um, I was also pregnant, so I was... Um, let's just say I didn't have full mental agility. Um, so, but I really enjoyed it. I, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. I mean, what I didn't realize or account for was the amount of sort of troubleshooting is involved, you know, as a director, you know, just putting out fires and getting the day and the sort of less romantic stuff. Um, but it reminded me of being a mother a lot, of being in uh, directing, actually. 
um, it's just a lot of a lot of um, decisions all day long. Um, whilst trying to stay um, calm and um, connected to your vision, which is often compromised under time sensitivity or financial sensitivity, which this film struggled from, struggled with throughout. Do you think that directing is something that you'll, I mean, does it feel to you like that's where you belong or how does that sit with acting and writing? I feel like I want to write and direct again. Um, because, because I loved it and, um, I love acting. I really, really love acting, but it's, for me, I've got, it's finding the right thing. Um, and they don't often come up if I'm honest, you know, it's, um, it's rare that you've, you do a job that you just feel like this is it, this, I can completely give myself to this. And I know, I know this and I have an ax to grind with this. Um, um, but with the directing, I think it's very new and I feel very impassioned and I really want to work from the ground up and, and continue to do it, but it's not something you can, I just don't think you can just turn this stuff out. It's like, you need to take your time. Um, so hopefully I'll do it again. Um, but I do love making things that feel really theatrical and kind of mental. And I, and I think maybe I'll lean into that even more in the future. I really ultimately just want to be to make, um, musical films (laughs) and pieces of choreography. I love it. There is no higher aspiration than wanting to make a musical film. And of course there are kind of key moments in the case of Rare Beast in which it feels, it feels like it is about, to become exactly that, and uh, I, can't, I mean, I love, I, I, I really, I mean, I'm a huge musicals fan, and I, I like the boldness of Rare Beasts. I mean, it's unusual for a first film to be quite so sure of itself. I think, which is um, <laughs> no, but do you know what I mean. I mean, quite I often, do, yeah. And and I and, and you know, and good for you because I I I also feel that thing about you should make you know you said I made the film for me. I think you should make the film that you want to make mm. because 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 otherwise, what's the point? But I do think it didn't. You know, it felt very bold and very confident. And I'm kind of slightly surprised to hear you talking about you know an- anxiety and uncertainty because I don't see that anxiety and uncertainty in the direction of the film. Although I see it in the character that you play. Yeah, I well that's interesting. I feel like my I feel like all the work I do sort of suggests that I am stronger than I actually am, I think mentally. <laughs> I think maybe it does. I think it's a place where I feel um confident and like I know what I want to know maybe not know entirely what I'm doing, but um, I, I feel more sure. It's my it's 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 real life that I struggle with more yeah well look billy congratulations on the film thank i wish you. you every success with it oh, i hope thanks. you do get to die to direct and, and and write again and i hope that uh, you know at some point we get to meet in the flesh rather than uh, on this uh, virtual thing but thanks ever so much it's been a real pleasure speaking to you and as i said thanks. all the best with the film thank you so much 
My thanks to Billy Piper and thanks to you for listening to this Kermode on Film podcasts. Rare Beasts opens in UK cinemas on Friday. If you've enjoyed the podcast, remember to subscribe and tell your friends. Also, visit our Patreon page, which has got loads and loads of video extras. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Keep watching the skies. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.